Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hi, I'm Bill Peacock, and welcome to episode 83 of the Liberty Cafe. I'm blessed to have you here with me today, and also very blessed, as always, to be sponsored by Texas Scorecard, a great group of men and women who are fighting for your liberty, my liberty, their liberty, and doing so not just always with the words of man, but also sometimes with the words of God. And so I'm grateful to be part of an organization like that. Well, today I want to talk to us about why God matters. Now, some of you, my listeners, may be a little, you know, may have a little consternation about this because, I mean, you're thinking, I'm smart. I'm a Christian, or I know a lot about God anyway from reading about him. And I think I have a pretty good understanding of why God matters. And did you also tell me just last week, talk about how men can't have babies? So you're wondering, well, why am I telling you these things you already know? Well, I'm, I'm quite aware that, that most of my listeners know why men can have babies and why God matters. But I but think all of us, including me, have some work to do in explaining these concepts to the world. Because if you haven't noticed around us, the, the world really needs to know these things. And I think we Christians sometimes do a pretty poor job of explaining these things to the world around us. So here's my attempt to talk through this concept to help me and, again, y'all, think about how we can present the whole counsel of God to the world around us. And in this particular case, why God matters in a lot of different areas that people don't think he does. So we have to go back in order to start with this, like we should basically in everything, which is back to Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, the Bible tells us that God made everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. So what does that mean? Well, among other things, it means that he owns everything. If he made everything, he owns everything. And if you also look in Genesis and most of the other parts of the Bible, he tells us what to do with his property. Now, he's, he's let us use his property. He's given it to us as stewards in many ways. But he's instructed us how to use that. And we kind of forget that sometimes. And, of course, Adam and Eve forgot that. Or they didn't forget it, but they ignored it and disobeyed him. And what happened, of course, with that is we fell into sin. And the, the whole world, not just human beings, fell into sin. And we incurred God's wrath, not just us, but all of creation. But since then, God has told us, and even at that time, but more fully explained us, and then showed it to us in the life, the birth, and the life, and the death of Jesus Christ, how we are to be redeemed from the punishment for our disobedience. So, so that's the, the picture of Scripture when it comes to in a very brief picture, of course, but when it comes to our God's plan for redemption. And that is really important, but unfortunately, a lot of Christians just stop there. It's, it's, it's absolutely true that we need to obey Him, 
And Christians get that. It's more than just about our redemption. It's about our obedience. And that uh, obedience includes loving our neighbors as ourselves. But for a lot of Christians, loving our neighbors ends at being kind to our neighbors and maybe supporting charitable causes. And then for some Christians, other Christians, loving our neighbor involves the government giving them money, housing, education, jobs, etc. What they're missing, though, and, and what a lot of us miss, is that we don't go back to the Old Testament and mine it and the New Testament for really what God has told us for how to take care of his property, how we're supposed to use it, how we're supposed to prepare his property, this world, for the time when God dwells with man in eternity, just like or much like he dwelt with man in the Garden of Eden. That's our future. We're going from a garden to a garden city, the great Jerusalem coming down from heaven. We're going to live with God in eternity, much like Adam and Eve lived with God in the Garden of Eden before sin. But in case you haven't noticed, we still have a lot of work to do when it comes to make, making this world suitable as a habitation for God. Although I don't want us to overlook the fact that God is already dwelling here. We are his tabernacle, filled with the Holy Spirit, singing songs of praises to him, just like King David did in the tabernacle that he built on Mount Zion before there was a temple. So we, while we should be grateful that God already does re reside with us, we still have to remember that there is work to be done before Christ moves his heavenly throne finally to earth and dwells with us here in our presence. Of course, the first order of our work, the first priority of our work for preparing earth as a dwelling place for God with man is to worship him. We, we have to worship him because without that and worship him as he calls us to, if we don't do that, nothing else matters. But there are still plenty of other tasks that we have to engage in to carry out our work. You know, on an individual basis, our, our work will generally be focused in, in areas of life that God gives us, but yet we can't also, shouldn't be surprised anyway, when God gives us a life that we didn't expect it. Sometimes those shifts can take place right in the middle of our lives. But collectively, I'd suggest, we, we all have a role in teaching believers and unbelievers more than just about salvation. We, we, we must teach them and carry out God's commands for how the world is supposed to work. Which, from my perspective, because this is the world that I have inhabited for most of my adult life, is the role and the work of civil government. So that's what I want to focus on here. The, the challenge with this, though, for society today, and we see how that challenge is playing out today, is that many Christians are reluctant to do this or even refuse to do this. What has happened, I think, is they've taken this correct belief that church government and civil government are different, and they have different roles, and in many cases they, they shouldn't overlap, sometimes as they have in the past, but they've corrupted it, influenced by modern culture, into this idea that there's a separation of God and state, as if God's commands to us, as Christians, don't really apply to the rest of the world or to civil rulers and things like that. But, but of course, 
no such separation exists. Jesus rules over the heaven and earth. And just Let's just look back at the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and see what we learn about there. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So it's it's worth noting there that Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That means authority over civil government, over church government, over family government, over nonprofits, over art institutions, over neighborhood associations, over wherever you want to go. Jesus has authority over you and over whatever organization you're in. And we as Christians are supposed to take the knowledge we have of Jesus Christ and go disciple the nations not just individuals in the nations, although discipling involves that. We're supposed to disciple nations. We should see results in nations of our discipling, not just individuals. And and what are we supposed to disciple them with? Well, everything that God has taught us and commanded us to do. Everybody needs to know these things. And so the whole world should be obedient to God. Because King Jesus, you know, shortly after this, he rose up into heaven. And where did he go? Well, he, he went to God's right hand. And what is he doing? What did he do at God's right hand? He sat down. And what did he sit down on? A throne. We see this back in Daniel. Jesus coming up through the clouds, being seated and crowned with glory as the Son of Man. And from there, he rules over heavens and earth, all knees shall bow to him. And so what happens here is that even many of the Christians who believe that God has something to say to the culture have fallen into a trap trying to explain what God wants the culture to look like, but they don't use God's words and they don't refer to God. So even Christians who have this feeling that we, we need to do something here, we need to take the world capture capture for Jesus, we're reluctant to use the words of God. You know, for instance, one, one example of that is the Texas Public Policy Foundation. I worked there for 15 plus years. It was a great organization. I was glad I had time there. The last couple of years I was there, I, I was working to try and get TPPF to start bringing biblical scripture, the Bible scripture, into our public policy analysis, because we do all this great work. I mean, and, and free market principles are clearly biblical, and we can put those out there. But my take was becoming, after years and years of seeing how little the culture listened to free market institutions like TPPF, I mean, we had some successes, don't get me wrong, Ultimately, we weren't changing the culture, and and it got me to believing that we, we can't change the culture unless we change hearts, and the only way we're going to change hearts is if the culture hears God's word. And so TPPF, and it's not just TPPF, but TPPF and the Heritage Foundation and 
Cato Institute, whoever you might be that, that has Christian underpinnings, maybe not Cato quite so much, but, but other organizations, should explicitly use God's word in promoting public policy uh, proposals and recommendations. But I never could get TPPF to, to move down that road, and they still haven't done that, and neither have any other major mainstream conservative think tanks in this world. But, but we're missing something. For instance, you know, how can we go and talk true, truthfully about public schools unless we talk about God's Word, unless we talk about the responsibility of parents to bring up their children not as conservatives, but in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Because if we're not talking about that, we're not talking about how public schools are failing to do that. You, you, even if you're a Christian or a Christian teacher, you might be able to pray. It's cool, but you can't, and you can teach about Christianity, but you can't tell the children that they need to bring up their children when they get older and married in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Because that's verboten these days. Same thing, another thing we might look at is the transgender and gay. Right? What is missing from the, the cultural debate about that is, in large part, that God created us. He created us man and woman. He created us in his image. Right? Uh, we, we could go on welfare, uh, economic development. We, you know, Welfare is not charity. And welfare harms people, charity helps people, but we can't explain that without going back to the Word of God very well. Same thing with economic development. Taking money from one taxpayer and giving it to the another taxpayer to, to like build a business or something like that, that's theft if you look at it from the Bible. But if you don't go back to the biblical principles on that, it's just a, well, a debate about how best to grow the economy and create jobs. So there are all those kinds of things that we're missing in the cultural debate because of that, because we don't go back to the fundamental premise of government in the Bible, which is there are three forms of government. We have civil government, we have family government, and we have church government. And they all have different roles. And for the most part, they, they don't overlap. They will some, but family government is responsible for taking care of the family. And for educating the family, the, the, the government, civil government, should have no role in educating people. So that means no public schools. But you, found, you sound hard-hearted and mean if you say that or you say we should get rid of welfare, unless you're going back to the Bible and teaching from those kind of principles. So that, that takes me back to the, to what the uh, inst episode that, or the event that kind of got this going in my head for today. So I listened to the Three Whiskey Happy Hour. It's put on by the folks at Powerline, Stephen Hayward and Lucretia, uh, who that's her her pseudonym. She's a she like uh, Stephen Hayward is a professor of political science. He's at um, Stanford, and she is at uh, some other school in the Southwest. I think it's in Arizona, but she goes under a, a pseudonym. But they put on this awesome happy hour. The whole Powerline team is very good. You know, they blog and have done a lot of great things. And, and I love listening to Stephen and Lucretia. They are so conservative and so good at, at analyzing the things around them. And they do a really good job of doing it with humor. 
right? So it's a fun, about an hour a week that they get together. And so they were talking this last week about equity versus equality. And, and we've seen, you know, the, the mess that is going on in the world about that today. And their question was that, that they were attempting to answer on their podcast was how do we combat the left's push to conflate and confuse equality with equity? I mean, that's, they were trying to talk about what's the best way to combat that and maybe change the debate on that. This is a quick primer. So equity, from a proper biblical and common sense perspective, is, is that the concept that we should all be judged by the same standard. It doesn't matter if we're black or white or red or brown or tall or short or rich or poor. We should all be judged by the same standard, which is the standard of the Word of God and His laws. And then the laws of our country should should equi- echo that, that law. And so we should all be treated the same under the law. That's equity. Equality, on the other hand, is that we are all of equal worth. But of course, what the left has done today is is basically turn those backwards and upside down, is that the, the left today wants to treat us by different standards. And that's depending on our chosen identity and race. And, and so in that case, we all have different intrinsic worth. But rather than have equality of worth, they want equality of outcomes. They want the outcomes of our lives to be identical. So the same wealth, the same houses, the same cars, the same social standing, unless, of course, you're the head of, um, say, Black Lives Matter, then you get more than everybody else, including the blacks who, who've who been you're supposedly out there supporting, and, and of course, the, the whites are giving you money, those types of things. So that was the question they were trying to deal with. How are we going to turn that back around and, and put equity and equality in their right places? But... The problem was they had nowhere to go in their arguments. And it, it really made me sad because I love these people and they're great. Uh, and you know, they, they made some references to God, but they, but they didn't make references to what God has told us about these things. It was So Lucretia made the case that we should appeal to first principles, the first principles of equality. And that's great. We should do that. But unfortunately, her her primary appeal, back to first principles, was Abraham Lincoln. And then then she went back saying what Lincoln did and and others, but went back as to the Declaration of Independence. But the Declaration of Independence isn't first principles. The the Declaration of Independence simply points us to the first principles, although it really doesn't do it as well as it could have. But nonetheless, it points back to that. And what it points back to are the first principles that we find in Genesis 1, is that God created us, male and female he created us, in his image he created us. So it's the fact that God created us in his image that the equality of all human beings can be found. If that's not true, if God didn't create us in his image, then there's no case that can be made for equality. Or equity. If God did not create us and set the standard for how we are to treat one another, there is no standard. And we would be free to treat each other however we want to treat it. There, there are no first principles without God. And so 
in their ability, inability to go back and pull out these first principles from Scripture that God created us in his image, man and woman, male and female, he created us. Lucretia and Steve were left with just no, no place to appeal that, that can, couldn't be overturned by the, the rantings of the left these days. And so what that has left us with today is a world, because Christians aren't doing a good job of this, aren't speaking into the culture. You know, I don't know whether Steve and Lucretia are Christians, but Christians haven't done a good job of this either. And so that leaves us in a place where essentially we are treating each other how we wish with no standards. For instance, we murder millions of our children each year. I've read where one in five pregnancies in, I think, the United States ended in abortion in 2020. We murder one out of every five of our children. 20% of our children who are created each year are murdered by our society, right? So it's no wonder if we're killing all these babies that we treat each other basically the same way. We beat and murder each other in our cities. We steal and destroy each other's properties. We steal each other's elections. You know, we go, it can go on and on. That, that's the backdrop for this. And, and the problem is the, which is developing because we as Christians refuse to take the whole counsel of God to the world. So Christians must, I'd suggest, return to speaking this whole counsel of God in his word in public to the public. You know, I'm grateful that Texas Scorecard embraces this concept. I mean, not everybody always writes about Jesus and, and talks about that, but the organization as a whole embraces that, and you see that in Texas Scorecard. But others, you know, whether it's TPPF or the Heritage Foundations and elected officials, you know, Ted Cruz, you hear a little about that with Ted Cruz. You never hear it out of John Cornyn, though. Voters, public and private employees, they're not doing that very much, but they must. If you're Christian and you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you need to take the whole counsel to God wherever you are, everywhere. It's not necessarily evangelism where you're trying to save an individual soul, but you're trying to teach the culture around you, including your neighbors, about this. I mean, for instance, I mean, the, the conservatives, best I can tell on the Supreme Court, all are Christians. I think most of them are Catholics, or maybe all of them are Catholics. It'd be nice to get some evangelicals on the Supreme Court uh, one day, but now we have Catholics and we'll take them. Wouldn't it be nice if Samuel Alito, and in his decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, which we can all pray and hope will be coming soon, would cite Genesis 1, 27? My, my guess is he won't. So to, to wrap up, let me just cite that verse right now with um, a couple other verses around it, which make up the cultural mandate or the creation mandate that God gave us, and which is the underpinnings of how we are supposed to manage his world. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing 
that moves on the earth. Well, I'm grateful that you could be with me today on episode 83 of Liberty Cafe. And thanks once again to our sponsors for the Liberty Cafe, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.